Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. Today is episode 46 titled, Come to Me and I Will Give You Rest. Today is a great set of verses to help anchor our souls in a restless sea of trouble. Jesus offers something that cannot be attained without him. So let's see what our Lord says. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 through 30 says, At the time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, excuse me, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That seems pretty straightforward, but I always like to cross-reference different translations. So there's a little bit of a different translation in the Douay Reims Bible. The Douay Reims Bible says, Come to me all that labor and are burdened, and I will refresh you. So notice the difference there, rest and refresh. And then it goes on to say, Take up my yoke upon you and learn of me because I am meek and humble of heart and you shall find rest in your souls for my yoke is sweet and my burden is light so before we go into the whole refresh you idea I want to clarify something when the word meek is used in the Bible the original Greek word is praus and Yes, Jesus Christ is patient in long-suffering, which is one of the two definitions in meek. But it's not deficient. Jesus Christ is not deficient in courage or spirit. So when you look at what meek is, Christ is not deficient in anything other than sin. He has no sin. That's the only thing he lacks. Everything else, he's completely effective, competent, and it means perfection itself, right? He's the example of perfection itself. So if you want to learn what Christ means when he says meek, or what the Greek original Greek word is for meek, go listen to the Meek Prouse podcast. It's very, very interesting. It really is. So yes, Christ is meek. He's patient with long-suffering, but that word means more. Our, there's a, ling, a language issue or a language limitation with the English language that prevents us from capturing the fullness of the word prouse in one word. So, anyways, let's continue. I want to point out that the ESV says rest, and the Dewey Reams Bible says refresh you. Now, one could read those two verses and they could say, well, they're virtually the same thing, or they're basically the same thing, but, but there's a difference. There's a difference between rest and Christ refreshing us. Now, me personally, I prefer the wording in the Douay Reims translation because to me it indicates something more. It's not just a state. It's something regarding the future as well. So to me, in some sense, rest seems more like a break or a pause of something, right? When you take a rest, something's pausing. And there's no indication when you're resting if you're going to continue. But a refresher is a pick-me-up and a continuation. 
So for for so for me, when I th- I think of the boxing analogy in some sense, and we'll get to that in a second, but I see rest as let's let's go ahead and use the boxing analogy. Rest is him sitting in the corner. When the round when the bell dings, rest is sitting in the corner. The refreshing comes from the cornermen. They use ice on cuts. They use Vaseline on areas where there's skin abrasion. They make sure there's water. So it's 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 sustenance in some sense in the middle of a fight. So the refreshing that Christ does is like a cornerman. Resting would be something that we do, right? So what is the very thing that can drain us and make us need Christ as support and aid or Christ refreshing us? What causes that? What causes the need for us to be refreshed? Some say just life in general. Now that's true, but that's not exactly what Paul says. And we have to really understand what life is. So if we're going to say, yeah, life is tiresome and difficult and Christ needs to refresh us from life, it's like, well, maybe not. Like what exactly is life and what does the Bible say we're in? Now, Paul had Paul is a New Testament titan. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. And he has some interesting information in Ephesians chapter 6 that talks about the very thing that drives our need for Christ and his help, aid, support, or refreshing. And this is truly what we're in. When we say this is what life is, Paul articulates it perfectly in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So as you can see, the heavenly places isn't just heaven. If there are spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, that means the spiritual realm, right? So it doesn't mean that there's evil in heaven. It's just heavenly refers to otherworldly in some sense. It's the spiritual dimension. So as you can see from what Paul tells us, our life is precisely a spiritual battle. That's exactly what our life is. And spiritual warfare is no joke. And we should take our lives and our existence very seriously. You know, being a Christian isn't... Now, the prosperity gospel, again, like we've talked about in previous podcasts, they're liars. They they will tell you being a Christian is about Jesus blessing you and about being positive and everybody being nice and everybody feeling good, right? They think that's... They don't understand the process of sanctification and the pursuit of righteousness through Jesus Christ or the necessity of continual repentance. The whole thing is anti-Christian. It's anti-Christian. So being a Christian is not riding rainbows on the back of unicorns while while we sprinkle some glitter, sip our coffee, and eat some bonbons. Our life is a spiritual battle. Being a Christian is commissioning for the Lord's army into a spiritual battle and taking personal responsibility for your sins and allowing Christ's blood to offer atonement for your past, present, and future sins with the desire to carry your cross and follow him and turn away from sin through repentance. So it's it's a, you have to make sure we have the full idea, right? It's a battle. Make no mistake. Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 6. We are in a spiritual battle. So what makes us different? If we're going to call ourselves Christians, then what makes us different than other people in the world? 
But it's supposed to be what sets us apart. There's something different about us. There's supposed to be. So when someone chooses to commit their life to Christ, I think the enemy the enemy's going to spend a lot of time attacking you, which ties into the whole spiritual battle idea. Now, why would Satan waste his time on someone who's happily on their way to hell with gasoline underwear on? Now, let's make sure everybody understands. When someone's born into this world, they are already on their way to hell. Until, until Jesus Christ is the only thing that can stop that. All of None of us are righteous. None of us are worthy of entering the kingdom of heaven. And it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to us by him that offers atonement for our sins. And there's criteria for that, of course. But why would Satan spend his time with people who are complacently living on the hamster wheel of the secular worldly life, going day to day without any true communion or relationship with Jesus Christ in some sense, right? So there's no need in bothering them. There's no need to waste his time on worldly and secular people. If I was Satan, I would focus my efforts on Christians who were diligent, Christians who are disciplined, strong Christians, Christians who could potentially have a very important purpose in their life from God, let's say. Maybe the Father or Christ has willed something significant for them to do in the Christian community. That's what I would focus my efforts on. I mean, that just makes sense, right? Now, in lieu of the enemy's attacks, we have some great news from our Lord. When the spiritual battle beats us down, when we fall, when we sin, or when we stumble while we're trying to carry our cross, our Lord is there with His Holy Spirit, longing to refresh us and keep us in the fight, much like a corner man refreshes his boxer in the fight. So the difference here between a fight in a ring and the fight that we're in in life is that we're literally fighting for our spiritual lives and eternal life with Christ. That's what we're fighting for. We're laboring for Him as commissioned disciples in his army. Now there's some more. The cool thing is, is, is you find trends when you cross compare scripture. So there's more encouraging words that tie into the rest that Jesus Christ is talking about. And this is John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, you will have tribulation in this world, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So he warns us. Paul says, hey, you're in a spiritual battle. And Jesus in John 16, chapter 33, or excuse me, John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, you're going to have issues, period. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So if you maintain your commitment to me, I'll take care of the rest. You just have to hang in the fight. And if you read other chapters of Matthew, Jesus says, it's those who endure till the end that will be saved. Not the people who give up. That's not what he's saying. If you give up, you'll be saved. No, if you keep your hand to the plow and you keep struggling to carry your cross. Being a Christian is a lifelong thing. He doesn't say you'll be saved if you turn away. That's not at all what he says. So I think it would be fitting to say that when Christ refreshes us, he's, he's impelling us or urging us to get back in the saddle, right? So Christ comes to refresh us, to propel us forward in some sense. And in lieu of that, we must remember who we are, right? If we are going to call ourselves Christians and children of God, there are sets of responsibilities and duties that come with that. And Christ has expectations from us, for us, I should say. Now, regarding the spiritual battle, we need to know what our weapons are against the enemy. 
that wages war on our soul. Ephesians chapter 6, so this is the same topic Paul's talking about, right? Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Well, in order to put on the armor of God, we need to know what it is. And Paul gives a perfect description of the armor of God in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14 through 18 says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So real quick, I want to pause the armor of God. Making supplication for all the saints is it's an earnest request. So if you look up the definition of supplication, is to ask earnestly. So we're supposed to pray to the saints. They are there to help us. They're also able to render us aid and support us. All right. So this whole Protestant idea that you're not supposed to pray to the saints, you're not supposed to pray to Mary. It's a biblical fallacy. It is a biblical fallacy. There is abs. It is 100% biblical to pray to saints, to pray to Mary. Anyone who has been used, you can pray to Moses, you can pray to Abraham. It doesn't matter who you pray to. Anybody who has commissioned and fought for the Lord that is a, a New Testament example, I'm, excuse me, I apologize, a biblical example, not just New Testament, a biblical example of how we're supposed to live our lives or how to remain faithful, then we should make supplications for the saints and we should pray at all times with prayer and supplication, not only to Jesus Christ, but also to the saints. All right, this isn't some crazy idea. This is something the Protestants, when Paul tells you to do something, it's not a suggestion. Okay, if it's part of the biblical canon, it's not a suggestion. So if the, if the Protestants say, well, I don't have to do that, it's like, well, actually you do. You actually do because the Bible says so. Oh, well, no, 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 you do. Ephesians, he says it. Ephesians chapter 6. Prayer and supplication for all the saints. All right, so let's, let's do what the Bible says. They're there to help us. And it's okay. It's not a sin, right? So the last thing we'll talk about today is the yoke of Christ. We know based on Paul's teachings in relationship to Christ's teachings that we are not under all 613 Mosaic laws. The question therein lies, what laws are we to uphold by accepting the yoke of Christ? The answer to that is the law of Christ and the law of liberty. So the law of Christ is faith, love, and morality. And even that requires... to us to, excuse me, I should say those three things need to be broken down or expanded. So faith is, it can be summarized as trust, conviction, action, and obedience. But the dictionary definition of faith is allegiance to duty. So it's a commitment, it's sincere intentions, and it's fidelity of promises. So it's, it's making a commitment, and it's maintaining your commitment and then it's sincere intentions in lieu of that commitment. All right, but that's not all. 
The biblical definitions in Hebrews chapter 11 is assurance of things hoped for and conviction of the unseen. So there's a very robust definition of what faith is. Now, love, love is something else that must be articulated properly. Biblical love is to will the good of another. That's why there are rules. You know, Jesus says the Pharisees missed the weightier part of the law, which is, I believe it was justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So faithfulness, the whole reason we are obedient is to demonstrate faithfulness. Now, people, that's that's why Paul says to bring about, I should say, excuse me, I apologize. What Paul says is the purpose of grace and apostleship is to bring about the obedience of faith. So Paul recognizes obedience as an element of faith. So does Jesus Christ. When he talks about the law, he 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 says obedience to the law represents faithfulness. So being faithful absolutely has obedience tied to it. And biblical love is to will the good of another. So when we have laws and rules, that's because Jesus Christ is willing the good of others to remain faithful. It all ties. It all ties in. But, you know, a Protestant pastor standing in the pulpit saying, we're not under the law, and then not offering any expansive information on that, it's very deceptive. It's very deceptive. Well, then you have morality, right? Which is the basis for New Testament instruction, right? That's why it's the law of Christ. And morality, faith, and love was the focus of all the laws that were required to follow, which is why it's called the law of Christ. Now, we've also got another New Testament law called the law of liberty. And that is doing what we should do, not what we want to. So, when we follow these rules and these laws, we can't go wrong. Also, we must remember to abide in his love. And the question is, how do we abide in his love? And Jesus Christ will tell you, we abide in his love by being obedient to his Ten Commandments and being obedient to the New Testament in relationship to the Old Testament. So, he says being obedient to Scripture and being obedient to the commandments. That's how we abide in his love. Now, the last thing I want to talk about today, I know I just said the last thing, but it popped into my head since we're talking about rest. Hebrews chapter 4, I believe. It's one of the first couple chapters in Hebrews. It talks about entering the rest of God. There are warnings, okay? So to enter the rest, when, when Christ says, come to me and give me rest, or excuse me, come to me and I will give you rest or I will refresh you. It says right in Hebrews, Paul talks about the way we do that is through obedience. Okay, and he warns us, people who have not entered the rest, the reason for that is because of disobedience. So what happens with disobedience is it creates a hardness of heart. And what can happen is in that hardness of heart, you can experience restlessness. So if you want to have rest, the rest that Christ talks about to refresh us and offer us peace in some sense, it has to come through obedience. And again, that ties back to the purpose of grace and apostleship and what faith is. So you can see all these things are so tightly linked, you can't separate them. The rest, the salvation, the the light yoke, the law of liberty, the law of Christ, all these things represent the same thing, which is the grace of God given to those who seek to have obedience of faith. Right, And we do all of that because we love Jesus Christ. We want to enter rest with him. We want to enter union with him. We want to have communion with him because the Bible says so. And being disobedient can create separation between us and God. So we should strive to remain repentant if we do sin, struggle to carry our cross, turn away from sin, and follow him. 
And if we're going to say we're following him, we need to remember that he was sinless. So the whole purpose of grace is for us to turn away from sin, right? To turn away from lawlessness. So let's enter his rest. Let's abide in his love. And let's live by the law of Christ and the law of liberty. That's all we have for today, folks. I hope everyone has a great day. Fight the good fight. God bless.